Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Pas de Deux. We are back in the studio after what, again, feels like a pretty long break. We've been madly editing both the Dance on Camera festival footage and Dance NYC Symposium footage. Is it called footage? I keep wondering if it's called footage, if it's mm -hmm. audio. I honestly don't know what to call it. I have to figure that out. I'm going to ask our audio engineer when we're done. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we've been madly editing uh, our tracks from those events, and it's been so fun, and I hope everyone who's listening now, if you haven't listened to some of our Dance on Camera Festival interviews, will go to uh, padadeh.com, or better yet, subscribe to padadeh on iTunes, and listen to a couple interviews. We did these on-site, so the sound quality is really different, but it's really fun, because I think you feel like you're there on-site and just getting raw feedback from um, people who are at the events. So what's up with you, Jessica? Have you actually seen some dance lately? So lately, I have not seen a lot of dance as it's been a very busy first quarter. Now that spring has sprung, I am looking back at the winter and wondering where it went since it disappeared so quickly. But I am looking back at some of my performance highlights and it was an interesting winter of dance. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm looking forward to spring shows, but just looking back, I saw an interesting performance at the Joyce Theater, which was a curated performance by two ABT principal dancers, Alessandra Ferry and mm -hmm. Armand Cornejo. Mm -hmm. And they presented an evening in which they chose the choreographers and danced together. There were a couple of solos for each of them, but they mostly danced together, and it was very romantic and passionate. Mm. And but very soft, touching, and overall it was just sort of like a quiet evening of dance, which was interesting that they curated that together. I feel like I would really like that. I'm such a sentimental romantic in my artistic taste. Did you like it? I did like it, and it was a different type of dance than I would normally just go see on my own. Oh, it was? Okay. And and I actually think you would have really enjoyed it, but I did really enjoy it. It was just a nice, beautiful evening. Wait, what type of dance? Did I miss that? Did oh, it was all, it was ballet. It was okay. classical dance. Oh, okay. Um, contemporary classical dance as well. So she, well, I don't want to say she, they also chose choreographers like Angeline Prejokaj, so it was of the contemporary classical order. Cool. So that was interesting. And I also really enjoyed, which I saw with you, an evening with the Russian ballet at BAM. Mm -hmm. We saw the Mariinsky Ballet yes. perform The Dying Swan mm -hmm. and also Carmen. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting. Um, of course, my favorite ballet dancer always is Lopatkina. Yeah. She always just performs so beautifully and her technique is perfect and crisp but she's also very expressive and she's just really wonderful to watch and we really enjoyed her dying swan she was perfect i remember uh who were they honoring vishneva vishneva was another dancer right that's who they were honoring they were honoring mm -hmm. maya plisetskaya oh, okay but it was vishneva who we saw right vishneva was in the vishneva. first piece she was in the carmen piece right and I feel like there was a lot of hubbub about her in this show, and I didn't. Her style is not one that I love, but uh, I thought she was going to be doing the Dying Swan. I was like, oh, you know, I've never actually seen the Dying Swan and liked it. It always feels a little clunky and a little overly sentimental to me. And then Lopatkina, 
not sure how to say that, came out on stage and did the Dying Swan, and I just held my breath. I felt like it was so perfect, and I loved it, and I was sitting there like, I hope Jess liked it too. And then we, it turned out we both loved it because mm. she's just, I mean, she just hit everything perfectly. Yeah, I mean, she's perfect. It's the only yeah. description for her. And I think that piece might be a good one to almost judge a dancer by because I think it would be so hard to do without seeming a little cheesy. Mm-hmm. It's all the arms. It's very, I am a swan. Yeah. I'm expressing myself and dying, you know, but she just. It's very um, easy to overdo it. And she yes. did not overdo it at all. She just did it perfectly. Yeah. And that performance, then they brought down this huge screen that filled the whole stage and showed us Bolero from the 80s, I think. Mm-hmm. And that was actually performed by Maya Plisetskaya. There, there we go. But yeah, I thought that that video screen was so cool. Like, I wouldn't have expected to like that. I would have thought that I'd be the crotchety one, you know, sitting there crossing my arms like, oh, I'm going to have to see a video now. But it was really interesting, to, I think, to see something from so long ago and really get that close-up look at it. And I still feel like they were very 80s. I mean, I don't know if that actually has any bearing. Uh, our 80s have had any bearing on Russia, but something about, like, some of the guys and their haircuts, it was like... They look like Chippendales dancers. <laughs> yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really funny. So that was a great evening, yes. And I also really enjoyed Alvin Nikolai mm. at the Joyce Theater. Sorry, that's actually pronounced Alvin Nikolai at mm. the Joyce Theater. And he is a theatrical mad genius. Everything I saw, I just thought was brilliant. Wow. He presented sort of like puppeteer pieces, and he used really cool neon lights, which would glow in the dark. Mm. And he presented everything in a very minimalist way. He's definitely a minimalist, but it was very theatrical. And one piece was actually quite creepy, which I loved. (laughs) Yeah, you would. (laughs) Delightfully creepy. I can't picture minimalism mixed with theatricality. And now, as usual, when you tell me about these shows, I'm uh, envious and wishing that I had seen it. Curious. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've also recorded since we saw The King and I. That's correct. We have not. Yeah. Another highlight. We saw The King and I on Broadway at Lincoln Center. Uh, Thanks to Benny Royce Royan, one of our recent interviewees who was in the show. Uh, Actually, thanks to him, we had front row seats which was so cool. Um, I loved kind of watching both the show and the orchestra. It was really fun to uh, be up close with both. And it was just such a beautiful show. I love um, the theatricality of of Broadway when it's also done tastefully and actually tells a story. Uh, And this was just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it was really stunning. I don't normally love all Broadway performances, but I really love this. And three hours didn't seem like three hours. It was really great. Yeah, when it finished, we were surprised that it had been a three-hour show. So everyone, Mm -hmm. honestly, go see The King and I. It's such a great experience. Um, And it really does touch on so many ideas uh, in culture and society, like we spoke about with Benny Royce. So Mm -hmm. uh, also go listen to Benny Royce's episode. Just scroll down our page or find it on iTunes. And I have just two more highlights from the season. In January, I saw Daniel Simpkins' Intensio, which he presented at the Joyce And that's his own curated show. And he is a guest dancer for American Ballet Theater. And he brought on some other principals from American Ballet Theater. And I really enjoyed his show in particular because he chose some really awesome choreographers. Gregory Dolbashian and 
Annabelle Lopez Ochoa. And choreography, just brilliant, absolutely beautiful. Those are two choreographers to watch out for, and I hope that I see more of them. And it's interesting that he chose them for this show. And I would be silly if I didn't mention, which was probably the highlight of the winter, Trisha Brown, her performance Mm. at BAM. It was actually her farewell performance. And I almost missed it, and I'm really happy I did not miss it. I have always seen Trisha Brown in the past, and it's funny, every time I see her performances, I always remember, oh yeah, I really like Trisha Brown. But for some reason, she doesn't stand out in the front of my mind as like someone I really enjoy. But her movement just has this really precise fluidity, and you can see that developed a lot throughout many of her pieces. And there was one piece in particular, the last piece, which unfortunately the name's not coming to me, which I just think is her like signature piece. It was so beautiful. I was so moved. And everyone in the audience was too because everyone immediately just went nuts for it. And it was also bittersweet to see the company take one of its last bows. Mm, so, so many. Ooh, there was just another one. Uh, I'm forgetting the name now. Oh, Cedar Lake? Yeah, Cedar Lake. Yeah, and that yeah. was also at BAM. Yeah. Now, mm. a couple years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Right. So, um, interesting winter for dance and excited to see what comes up in the spring. Well, now I'm sad I can't see Trisha Brown. When you say it was the highlight of your winter, I mean, that's a big statement. And also, I think precise fluidity, your words, might be the entire goal of dance. I mean, yeah. not dance. The best way to express the entire goal of ballet. Yeah. Might be. Food for thought. We can talk about it later. But anyway, let's bring on our guest. We can't wait to talk to uh, Greg Miller today. So let's intro him up. So today we are very excited to speak with Greg Miller, executive director of Dance Parade, which is looking forward to its 10th year this May. Having worked 14 years in management for Fortune 500 companies such as Lehman Brothers, EDS, Bosch, Revlon, and Cablevision, Greg has been serving as an arts administrator to nonprofits since 2003 when he co-produced the Fall Collection, a mixed media festival in the Lower East Side. Drawing from his love of dance and cultural experiences from living nine years abroad, Greg founded Dance Parade, Incorporated in 2006. Greg seeks to anchor the One Parade Many Cultures vision by encouraging as many artistic and vibrant forms of movement as possible, nourishing a network of those who will cross generations and cultures to unite and celebrate under the umbrella of dance. Motivated by the healing qualities of dance, He practices salsa, swing, roller, and Gabrielle Roth's Five Rhythms, a conscious movement discipline. He was recently the general manager of Nimbus Dance Works, Jersey City's preeminent dance company, and currently consults for nonprofits and serves on the advisory board of Neville Dance Theater. So we're very excited to have you, Greg. Welcome. Thanks. Good to be here with you guys. Thanks for joining us. So um, to get started, just tell us about your dance background and training and how you got into dance yourself. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a formerly trained dancer. Okay. I got excited about dance when I lived probably over in Asia and would go to all-night parties and nightclubs and stuff like that and went over to India and Thailand and did those types of parties. And then I, I guess I just discovered the, the way to express myself best. And uh, when I got 
to New York, I was I took salsa classes, swing classes, and things like that. I had a day job where I would fund my evening activities, mm-hmm. and a lot of that was about dance. We know dance. all about that. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more about this five rhythms. I've never heard of that before. The five rhythms is a work uh, created by Gabrielle Roth probably about 15, 20 years ago. She kind of recognized these five rhythms in everyday life. And as a theater person, she, you know, wanted to research and find out what what that was, what kind of rhythm starts your day or is mm. connected to earth. And that would be flow. And then flow went to staccato, staccato to chaos, chaos to lyrical, wow. and lyrical to stillness. So it's kind of a wave of, of rhythm. And they, they do this practice all over the world. Um, it's a great way to express and get out of your mind into your body. Very cool. And when did you start exploring that? That was once you were back in New York from Asia? Yeah, I kind of um, got introduced by some Burning Man friends. They were like, hey, try this wild dance practice. And mm. uh, it was over at Cosm on 28th Street. You ever hear that? Yeah. The peer, um, Alex Gray space. Oh, okay. The the artist who does kind of psychedelic art and stuff. Yeah. And so um, he had Chapel of Sacred Mirrors. Mm-hmm. And it was this really gorgeous space with a wooden floor. And uh, they would have a DJ, Jonathan Haran, who was actually the son of Gabriel Roth. And uh, they still do it every Tuesday um, at the Joffrey Ballet now. Oh, where very it's cool. full on 100, 100 plus people and just... A really great workout and a really great community to kind of connect with. Wow. So it's an actual discipline. There are classes and you go through all of the five rhythms in the course of the class? Yeah. You don't necessarily know sometimes the difference between flow and staccato, but basically the music picks up and and uh, it is guided by a teacher and they have really in-depth teaching practices that go beyond kind of the physical movement of dance hmm. and some people say it's spiritual so it's kind of like my church I guess yeah I wonder if you would like Gaga have you taken Gaga before yeah I was going to say there's a connection there yeah I haven't explored nearly as many styles as I'd like to mm-hmm. um, try a Gaga class okay I'll be like Gaga it. over it <laughs> yeah so to understand more about your trajectory, how did you end up in Asia? And how did you end up going to these crazy dance parties all night? I had this corporate sort of opportunity over in Europe where I was started out after college with an internship, and I did that banking thing. And then I went over to Japan just because I wanted to see what's on the other side of the world. I guess I discovered the Eastern philosophy of what goes on over there with you know, kind of like living in the present, living fully, appreciating life. Um, kind of, some people would say it's at an angle to, to, you know, other, our religions from, from this country. <laughs> and lifestyle. And mm-hmm. lifestyle, too, yeah. I mean, that's so different from banking. Were you able to embrace, continue embracing the banking career and also embrace those philosophies and... Well, in our minds, it seems in yeah. contrast to banking, but maybe not. <laughs> I mean, I studied international business, which was kind of a very general category. Um, I guess um, the older I got, the more interested in art I got. 
And um, I just, I guess I had a, like a appreciating art class in, in undergrad. And, um, but uh, yeah, it's just when you see more of it, when you travel around Europe and you go to all these museums, you just, mm-hmm. it just grows on you. Definitely. Yeah. And then dance is, it was sort of like, a hidden sort of art form for me. I mean, there's no museum of dance. You just have to kind of like have it reveal itself through through just right. You know, learning. It's ephemeral. You have to catch it when it's happening, or you miss it just as quickly. Mm-hmm. So you've had a lot of interesting experiences. How did that lead you to starting the dance parade, and how did you come up with the idea? Well, that is a perfect question for this idea I had based on (laughs) this dance being ephemeral kind of thing. I mean, Dance Parade is all kinds of dance for the people out in the streets where everyone can see. You know, it is kind of a museum of dance. I I never thought of it that way. (laughs) But um, it started in a wacky, weird way where I had been uh, let go from a, a corporate gig, um, laid off, I should say. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Um, huge severance package and a lot of time on my hands. And, and I was like, what's important to me? What do I want to look into? And there was a group of people trying to figure out these cabaret laws and we would have meetings and, and try to see, you know, how can we bring this information to the masses and in a public way? What does that mean? Cabaret laws? New York City cabaret laws um, were started in 1926. They were um, a set of ordinances that mandated that bars and clubs and restaurants had to have a license for dancing. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, it was an interesting, you know, very conservative time. There was no alcohol and so on. And they had even things in there that said you had to be of reasonable character to be going to a cabaret. Reasonable character. Yeah. (laughs) So it became something that was very, um, you know, possibly they could use discretion at who they would let in and, you know, for racist reasons or something, you know, Mm. people would would not grant, the, the city would not grant licenses to clubs that had, like, you know, mixed race dancing and things like that. So it started in a really, like, kind of dark time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I guess through decades and decades, the law existed with many thousands of, of licenses around town. But um, the Giuliani administration used the law to cut, cut back on, I guess, the drug problem and everything, mm-hmm. and the quality of life campaign. And, uh, and so almost... Every, you know, even good style of dance, like salsa, swing, ballroom, um, got got affected. Wow. Interesting. I remember coming into New York City at the tail end of Giuliani's reign and going to different lounges and nightclubs, and everyone would talk about the cabaret laws, like, oh, there can't be too many people dancing at once, so they would try to... They would get scared if people would dance in certain places. Right. So even, so not just performative dancing, like people on a stage, but with under these laws, you couldn't have a certain, you couldn't necessarily have people dancing in a club. 
on a dance floor. Right. You had to have a license. Um, oh, okay. So and they license. defined it as anyone moving rhythmically, you know, and so that goes back to what is dance. <laughs> if you're um, a terrible dancer, you're fine. You have no rhythm. <laughs> yeah. But there were... Um, there was a uh, Supreme Court case, I guess, in the 80s that said dance was not considered, or social dance, not on a stage, mm-hmm. was not considered expressive activity, so not protected by the First Amendment. So they used that to keep the cabaret laws on the books. Interesting. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. It's like the and most expressive activity mm-hmm. for those of us. So that, we were all, the, like this advocacy group called Metropolis in Motion, we were all kind of upset. And that, and uh, there was a state supreme court case in 2006, and the judge actually cited that that dance is not expressive, hmm. and so that was the year that we decided to show that it was expressive and do the dance parade, as, with as many forms as as possible. So you had to get a license to do that. Uh, a permit to do the parade. Yeah, but not a cabaret license. Cabaret licenses are really, really hard to get because you have to go through all these hoops and have, like, all these fire protection equipment um, installed and community board um, approval. And, yeah, it's it's restrictive. Wow. So is that partly why you staged it in the street? Because you would have had to have a cabaret law if it was something in it, an enclosed space? Yeah, it was actually a protest, the first the first one. And we got tons of press. They were saying, like, dance revolution and, you know, you oh, can dance great. if you want to, and uh, quoting all the old songs. Um, and so, yeah, we were the, the case was still um, not quite uh, decided. And so we wanted to make a big statement that dance was important to us and show all these beautiful forms of dance as expressive forms. And so uh, we formed the nonprofit after that. And uh, that, so that became our mission statement, which is to inspire dance through the celebration of diversity. That's great. <laughs> I love that. I love that story. What a great story for how it got started. So when, what happened with the laws? I assume they're no longer in place? They're actually still going on, and oh, really? you can still see some of the signs in bars and clubs that say no dancing. But I think that, um, and please tell me if I'm wrong, it seems like in the current administration, they're not really enforcing it. Like, I remember, again, I came in at the tail end of Giuliani's enforcement, early 2000s, late late 90s, and... Um, it seemed like cops were all about enforcing it. They would show up places, and I literally saw a bribe happen one time, and then the cops went away. Mm-hmm. Um, so someone could dance? Yeah, so people could dance. I guess that's what was happening. Um, but it seems to me like it's just not as enforced as it used to be anyways. I'm just comparing it to that time period. But but I'm sure people run into issues. Right. Well, the argument that I've heard people say over and over again is, there's already laws on the books to protect the neighborhoods and the, you know, against the nuisances of, of drinking and crowding and, and um, the fire protection and all that. So, so, yeah, it's not quite as enforced because there are those laws already. But still, somewhere along the line, there's like the, you should have the right to be able to dance. Yeah, no, it's definitely ridiculous that. Yeah. It is a law that exists and continues to exist to this day. And, and it stops people from opening dance clubs 
or maybe you come from the Caribbean and you want to have a small cafe and people like to move a little bit. Well, they're going to have a hard time when they start to get investors, you know. Mm-hmm. So it does have an effect. And there's actually a, a, a case in federal court right now um, by Andrew Muchmore, who is a bar owner in um, uh, Williamsburg, I believe. Mm-hmm. And and uh, he used to be a lawyer from Louisiana, and he runs this nightclub and the cops came in and they said oh there's dancing in here and and I don't know if he got fined or what the details were but you know that started him kind of reacting and now there's this case. I was gonna say I guess now we know why that Korean restaurant stopped you from dancing on your birthday. That's oh, to Jessica. Yeah. <laughs> you and someone else got up and you were doing the whatever it's called. I always forget. The hustle. The hustle. Was <laughs> that on the table or on the floor? I wish it was on <laughs> the table. Should have been on the table. <laughs> <laughs> but we already had our food, or it would have been. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they came up and they were like, no dancing. <laughs> yeah, they were very uh, particular about that. But I think yeah. they just didn't want us to have fun. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, just didn't want us having fun. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really interesting. So, uh, you just kept it going because it was so much fun and everyone had a great time? With the parade, we kept it going. So, yeah, it actually just doesn't happen year after year. There's a lot to go into it yeah. that we have to, because we actually bill it as 10,000 dancers. Oh, my so gosh. So we actually want to have as many forms of dance as possible. And so we just constantly, throughout the year, we're, we're talking to people, we're trying to find that unique group that we've never had before. Oh, that's and, great. And so So you're looking for the groups to to find diversity, correct? Yeah. yeah. They don't just come. Um if we had them just come, we'd probably end up with a hip hop parade or <laughs> a Burning Man sort of love parade that they used to do in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um So ah, So there's a more curatorial vision. That's great to hear. Yeah, in that Seventy-five styles of dance is always our goal, and um, let's see, it's April, and we have about sixty. So I think we're going to make it, and we're going to be the world's largest display of the diversity of dance. That's amazing. I love that. So how? Okay, think of a really bizarre or interesting form of dance that nobody's heard of, and and tell us about it. Uh, I told you about the five rhythms. Yeah, Um, that's a great one. Yeah. But uh, let's see. Do you know about um, Zouk dancing? Nope. Mm-mm. I don't think so. It's spelled Z-O-U-K. It's um, often there's a distinction between Brazilian Zouk and a different um, South American country. But um, it's a blend of um, African-influenced styles like Kizomba. Kizomba is another um, similar uh, style as often practiced in Brazil. Um, and uh, I would say it's a mix between salsa and lambada. So you can imagine the salsa couple together, but imagine it really slow and sexy. And w- the ladies, you both have long hair, uh, they twirl their, ha- their hair around, or, f- or what do you call that? What's the verb for twirl, twirl your hair? <laughs> oh, I'm thinking flip your hair. I, there's a word for it, isn't it? Isn't there? It'll you, come to me. You let your hair fly around, and uh, it creates this really cool um, feel to to the dance. Cool. Um, I feel like I've seen that, maybe. 
Yeah. <laughs> Look at uh, Brazilian Zouk on Google, and it's fun. Um, Very cool. And it's I'm really great learning. that you're able to find all of these styles in New York City. That says a lot about the diversity in New York City. You already have 60 styles. Are they all New York City-based? You did mention that you've tried to get groups from Africa, or they've tried to come over with a visa and some complications there. <laughs> Are all of these um, forms existing in New York, or do they sometimes just come in for the parade? So we just basically say it's open for everyone, and and then we get interesting people apply, but... But yeah, we have um, a country and western group from Texas A&M, the Aggie Wranglers who fly in, and they're going to do like this kind of country and western swing dance with the uh, twirling of their their partners round and round and all that. Um, (laughs) And then we get um, a group every year from Japan, uh, the Mi Yabi Wind Hmm. group. And it's it's these uh, ladies... um, in these long silk gowns with these colorful, um, uh, I guess they're silk uh, fabrics, and they incorporate that in their dance, so it's a really stunning thing to see. And I imagine, too, because you started from this place of activism against the cabaret laws, do you get a lot of electronic music promoters and people who also bring their people out? In support of the... um, the cabaret law reform effort is that what you mean um that and also to the parade itself like do they have groups of dancers that show up and just dance to their funky beats yeah um i guess the the longest running uh float in the parade is the house coalition so these guys do you know them i know them yes yeah so they um they go to nightclubs and there's never one place they're always traveling around and uh, they put down baby powder on the floor, yeah. and uh, really, you know, for good dancing, and um, and so they're they're always in the parade, and they're they're always usually um, looking to reform the cabaret laws because part of their um, interest is to dance in maybe pl- places that aren't licensed for dancing, warehouses and things like that. Right? Uh, is there anyone who just uh, st- I mean, are people allowed to join the parade and dance without being part of the official lineup, or is it all an official lineup, and then I know the people on the sides are encouraged to dance as well? Yeah, so it's open to everyone. So once a group signs up, they have the option to either um, stick with who they have, basically, you know, they don't invite others to join because they have a choreography or costumes or something, Um, or they have the option to keep it open. And so if you're a Burning Man, you know, global base group, then, you know, you might attract all these people that have been to Burning Man and, and oh, here, I'll dance with them. Or a samba group, you know, that m- might not have a choreography, but people know samba and they all want to dance together, so they do the samba group. Okay, so you're not selecting groups on the basis of kind of the professionalism or the quality of their choreography necessarily. We do seek out some to kind of pepper the parade. Right, um, keep it interesting. And there's also a festival afterwards. So we try to choose the best groups or the most interesting groups and, and curate them on stage, on five stages at Excellent. the festival. Mm-hmm. So do you get um, any professional dance groups and companies such as ballet companies, modern dance companies that attend as well? Sometimes you're, you're, you're restricted by unions. Um, 
we've had Martha Graham. Um, uh, I don't know if it was actually the um, primary company, um, but Graham has been there. We've had um, Paul Taylor. Um, we've had Grand Marshals represent, you know, their their companies. Like last year, we had um, Robert Battle from Avon Ailey, mm-hmm. and uh, so I guess in in some form, yes, we have these companies. But um, you know, I think part of the reason why we don't have um, these big name companies in in a, in a broad sense is because usually you would have to pay their dancer the, the dancers. And we just can't pay 10,000 dancers. I mean, the financing right, right. of this thing is, like, so hard. Absolutely. So, so, um, so uh, yeah, so, um, you know, when we write grants and we try to, you know, describe a particular need, then maybe we can, you know, provide salaries for dancers on stage or for teaching, that kind of thing. Do you tend to get any representation from ballet? Are there freelance ballerinas maybe who there are some groups um the pink tutu ballet comes to mind they're in the parade every year um but i i wouldn't say you know the new york city ballet or um you know these these big companies that are trying to look so perfect Mm -hmm. which is almost refreshing and kind of wonderful because uh it's really giving uh, a huge platform for recognition to all of these groups that are often sidelined or often don't have the funding. Um, because even the larger groups, as was discussed a lot at the Dance NYC Symposium that we all recently attended, uh, struggle to maintain their finances and t- ticket sales are declining, the audience is aging, yada, yada, yada. Um, but then, you know, how does that even trickle down to the smaller companies? It seems like that's a real issue right now in the dance community. Um, so to have an event that really is more independent um, is fascinating. Yeah, it's hard to have a small company because it's just like a small business. You're, yeah. you're trying to be competitive and get out there. And um, probably even harder because if it's a nonprofit board, then you have to try to get that dynamic going. But um, for us, we love it. You know, it's a labor of love. And uh, we rely on a lot of people volunteering, people that usually have day jobs and they and they just want to really make something cool happen. Awesome. Yeah. Um, that actually relates to a question we had about uh, the year-long engagement aspect of Dance Parade and how you sustain that financially uh, as an organization or an effort. Yeah. Um, we have been asked by all kinds of people over the years for various types of styles, for, for school performances, for outdoor festival performances, all kinds of situations. So we thought, wait, we have this network, this incredible resource of all these dance groups. Let's, let's see if we can employ some of them and, and not just you know um, refer, but actually be like almost like a booking agent. So yeah, we come up with... Um, for example, the Winter's Eve Festival on the Upper West Side is the city's largest holiday event. They book our dance groups every year, and then we can end up paying them significantly. So um, we do these ad hoc kind of like interesting artistic performances. Um, we got a whole bunch of groups together um, at the Greenwood Cemetery. Oh, yeah. And, and then um, 
connected the stories of the cemetery to the stories of particular cultures in dance and brought the audience around um, with like a mobile sound device to, through the Greenwood Cemetery. And if you've ever been there, it's like the Disneyland of, of cemeteries. Yeah, so it is. It's, it's, I live it's really right by bizarre. there, but oddly enough, I've never taken any of their tours, which I should. But you've gone, right? You've walked through. Mm-hmm. I thought it was so funny. I lived a couple blocks away for two years. And at first when I moved in, everyone was like, oh, you've got to go to the cemetery. It's so beautiful. And I just thought that was the weirdest phrase. You have to go to the, the cemetery. I didn't know it was like a hanging out space for mm-hmm. New Yorkers, but we're so starved for green spaces. And it is really beautiful. It's laid out in this gorgeous way. It's on a hill in Park Slope, so it overlooks for people who haven't been there or aren't in New York. It, um, you look kind of downhill out towards the river, the East River. It's gorgeous. It's and this you huge... can see the Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. Um, you see Manhattan. And, uh, you know, we. I, I remember this one, um, Annabella Lenzu. She's a yeah. tango dancer. She, mm-hmm. um, well, actually, it's more contemporary theater dance. And so when the audience got to this point where you see the Statue of Liberty, she went into this ancient Italian dance where they're a dance of mourning. Oh, wow. And also she connected it to the Im- the emigrants from Italy. You know, when you say goodbye to your family member who's going to America to to f- do the American dream, and everyone was crying. It was, oh, it wow. was you know, it was like people were just in tears. It was great. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Fascinating. That's great. And what has been the most rewarding or interesting aspect of organizing the parade over the years? Well, rewarding and interesting are different uh, <laughs> characterizations, <laughs> I You guess. can choose two. <laughs> you tell us about two things. I mean, interesting. I personally have learned so much about what it takes to inspire people and how to get things done in a way that is, is inspiring instead of coercive, you know, because with volunteers, you know, a lot of the time, you know, they, they have, it's not their first priority, so you're really like begging them in a way, but instead of begging them, it's it's like I've learned to make it like really cool. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so that that was an, a valuable nugget over the years, um, and then just to see, I think the cross cultural connections, and not just eth- ethnically, but the cultures of dance. You, you see sometimes ballroom people who are interested to learn hip-hop, mm. you know, or, or vice versa. And the different ages, um, you know, learning different steps. And so that, that is just really like, it warms your heart when you, when you see, you know, kids from Harlem and they're, and they're trying to learn the ballroom moves. Do you think that that's inspired any long-term studying? Or? Sure. And that, that's kind of our mission. We're... we're inspiring dance so inspiring people to learn dance I guess in dance classes Um, we've had some people see Bhangra Indian Bhangra which is like very um, energetic and they have huge smiles on their faces and stuff and and they're like what is that and they you know research and they end up teaching it as a a career it happens where, where people get that inspired it's awesome 
We've had a lot of conversations lately, especially surrounding the film P.S. Dance. Have you seen that? I have seen it. it. Yeah, um, about dance education in uh, New York City public schools. We've had these conversations about uh, how learning dance and doing dance is really, for most people, the key component in, in appreciating dance. So if we really want to grow the field of people who are attending dance and engaged in it, participation is a huge aspect. Um, which it sounds like Dance Parade really promotes, and that's awesome. Yeah, we make them participate even if they don't want to. Yeah, speaking <laughs> of which, it says on the Dance Parade website, you can fa- find our Dance Police, NYDP, joyously ticketing bystanders for not dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about that, and what's the fine? Okay, well, that links back to how we were started. So right. in the Giuliani administration, they actually had a cabaret task force to to go into problem clubs or bars or restaurants where people were dancing and, and say, oh, you're dancing, and, and then the, the venue would get a fine or maybe get shut down. So, uh, so <laughs> we, we made these costumes, basically T-shirts with the logo of the NY, not the NYPD, but the NYDP, the same logo. So when you see it, you're kind of like, oh, you know, it looks serious, Yeah. Mm-hmm. but then they give you a ticket, and the ticket looks serious, and then it says, you know, you put the person's name, their infraction, you know, uh, moving without rhythm or not moving, no standing in a moving violate, uh, moving zone or something weird. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and then they have to go to court, which is on the back, you know, a free dance lesson or a free dance party somewhere. That's supposed to link back to our history, but people love doing that. So right now they're learning a choreography to present at our gala uh, a week from Sunday. You mean the NYDP? Yeah, we have Is an N- the NYDP hip-hop group. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. So what route does the parade follow, actually? I realize I don't even know that. So in New York City, if you go to 21st and Broadway... That's the start of the parade. That there's a ribbon cutting, and uh, that'll be at one o'clock this year, Saturday, May twenty-first. Mm-hmm. It goes down through Union Square, Union Square West, where the Green Market is. There's just thousands of people everywhere. Um, it keeps going straight through to down through University Place, mm-hmm. and um, and then it swings east. So right at the elbow of the parade, we have a grandstand. And every group kind of performs. If they have a choreography, they perform for about a minute. And they show just, you know, the audience is constantly getting hit by, like, a new group. Bam, bam, bam. And then they go just straight shot through um, Astor Place and end up at at the East Village for the festival. St. Mark's goes straight into Tompkins. Um, It's a funny area because it's all all like a nightlife area. And uh, we've heard that people, like bar owners or maybe they're residents, I don't know, but they... They're, they're starting to come out with numbers for every group that goes by, like, number set, you know, you made a seven, you made a six. <laughs> <laughs> I love Rating that. Rating everyone. Yeah. It's the local mm-hmm. community getting excited and participating instead of trying to shut it down. That's a mm-hmm. great um, idea. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Do you dance in the parade? I try to. Um, I usually, you know, my Five Rhythms group is there with the parade float and... Um, we have like a little formation area for a bunch of Burning Man people and nightclubs, and it's kind of like the pre the pre party for the whole thing, and that um, that's a fun place to 
to dance even before the parade starts. You've mentioned the Burning Man group a few times. What is their connection and is it a large group of people, a large community that is involved? Burning Man is definitely a community. Um, it, it's it's uh, a number of people who go to the Nevada desert called uh, Black Rock City. Black Rock des- Desert, actually. And they build a city for a week in the, in August. And um, they, they camp out and, uh, I mean, sometimes really luxuriously, but they celebrate art. And uh, a lot of them feel like, you know, it's the beginning of their year. So they actually say, welcome home, and do they say Happy New Year? Um, I haven't been myself, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, they they burn the man. Um, They have a theme every year, and then they burn a temple, which is usually really beautiful, and it's a good way to say goodbye to someone who's passed in your life, your your life. and so, you, you know, you write a prayer or something inside the temple. And then, um, like, the last night, um, they burn it, and it's just this huge fire. And with the whole, you know, 50,000 people around it, feeling, like, the energy of, of all of those prayers, um, it's, it's really a, a moment. <laughs> so they try to have the um, philosophy of Burning Man in your local community. And they follow the 10, they have 10 precepts. Um, I've only been twice, so I'm not like a real veteran uh, sort of Mm know-it-all. But they do things like leave no trace, you know, like there's never a paper around their camping areas. Um, Or radical self-reliance or radical expression, which explains all their costumes. So it's really colorful when you you go to a Burning Man event in New York City. there's Horned Ball this Saturday at, at Webster Hall, which is like thousands of people celebrating spring in the vernal equinox with all their pagan um, horns. That's mm. awesome. Have you been to that? I haven't, but a few years ago, uh, the girl who was the office manager at the company I worked at uh, started throwing, or I think they were just starting out, she and her husband started throwing these huge costume parties. And I didn't know what Burning Man was at the time, so I went because I love costumes. I'm kind of obsessed <laughs> with costuming mm. and we love dancing going to dance parties it's the i feel series that yael and roe throw every friday um, yeah. or one friday every month uh-huh. um, which has gotten really big and so i've kind of learned about the community but also just have fun going and dancing and dressing up um, and just these are the, are the parties that sarah and i keep saying we've got to all go to together sometime um, but I, it's funny because i never thought of it so much as a dance community as you know a spiritual community and a party community in a way but more of an expressive community expressive community that's a great way to put it Um, but there is a huge dance component because a lot of the events um, revolve around or at least include uh, dancing as a form of expression Mm -hmm. so it's interesting because again thinking of sort of fringe or just um, not even fringe but communities communities of dance that are not in the concert world that don't always come to mind it's encouraging to realize how many people there are out there who are dancing and getting involved and who we could or you are directly tapping into um, to grow that community of dance. And so to just make sure I understand, so that community you talked about that turned into the I Feel community, that is an extension of the Burning Man community? Yeah, which I didn't realize for a while. They were just throwing these parties. That was the Rowie's business. That was their job on the side of, you know, 
her job. And uh, eventually, well, my boyfriend at the time was like, oh, this is a total Burning Man community at these parties. And I was like, oh, it did seem like a very specific group of people. So, yeah, they really congregate and continue to stay in touch and get to know each other wherever they live um, throughout the year. So, yeah, it's interesting. It just seems like it's become a much larger community of just people who are connected to events, but they may not call it like a Burning Man event. So that's what I'm just trying to understand, like how this community has become like a larger movement, so to speak. Yeah, I think it's actually the 10 principles um, that keep keep it together that people identify to. Um, Decommodification is another one. So they don't um, have in an official Burning Man event, you don't have someone selling things. So you really keep it to the core about art and and connection and community um, instead of, you know, being distracted by, I don't know, you can go to a lot of these festivals, uh, dance festivals, where it's, it's less about the actual music and more about, you know, you have all these, like, vendors everywhere. And, mm-hmm. um and it's overpacked, and it costs eight dollars for a water yeah. bottle. <laughs> yeah, and you when you go, um, I don't want to talk down to any particular one, but I've been to a few, and you just don't feel as connected. Like people don't talk to you as much, and and uh, if anything, the people are aggressive. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's hard to maintain in New York with all of our maybe the cabaret laws are part of it, but. You know, if uh, any party I've ever been to, I've had to buy drinks at least, you know, so that always comes into play. But I know at the festival itself, everyone, the idea is everyone kind of has something to give, right? Like whether it's a skill or a product or they just Right, share. the gifting um, economy actually is, is really effective out there in the desert because you're out there and you don't have much, well, you have whatever you can carry um, and uh, and you don't you know, go to the store or whatever, and you have all this extra stuff. And so, yeah, you can gift someone a particular item or you can gift them, a, um, um, you know, a joke or hmm. help them out somehow. And uh, the key is not to expect anything in return. So it's a really, a- it's an act of love in a way. And Definitely. they also have these camps at Burning Man. You know, like basically you have an organization. And that, I think... Um, extends to the local level. So Costume Cult, for example, is is a huge organization. They do a party every month and um, and have a presence in the Mermaid Parade or the St. Patty's Day Parade. Um, actually protesting the St. Patty's Day Parade. They'll, mm. they'll, they'll have signs oh. and they'll say, Elves are people too. Or um, it's like Zombie right. Con. Going around dressed as like ghoulish figures and going into... Um, a jewelry store and just being like, (laughs) (laughs) freak them out for sure. Um, This might be out of left field, so feel free to ignore, but are there uh, aspects of the Burning Man ideas that you think run through Dance Parade? Definitely the idea of expression, um, radical expression, um, because how often do you dance in the street? (laughs) Right. Did you dance in the street today? No, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, my God. There is, though, I have to tell you, this homeless guy who uh, always hangs out around Herald Square where we work, and he dances in the street, and I love him. I always, I keep trying to talk to him because I want to make a dance film out of him, but he's got this little 
a Walkman thing or something that attaches to his wrist, and he just dances in the street. He gets in the way of traffic sometimes. Um, <laughs> I mean, not to glorify poverty or anything. I'm sure he's facing a lot of difficulties, but he seems really happy, and he, I just kind of love watching him dance. He actually looks really good, I think, because he's just expressing himself. Mm. So anyway, just a little interesting well, anecdote. <laughs> what you're, I think, also hitting on is you don't need much to dance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like Burning Man, you need so much to get there and so much, the costumes and all this. Or in professional dance, or you have to look a certain way or show up a, s- a certain way and, and, and perform. And this is just really about doing what you want to do, doing what you feel and doing doing what you know, you know, like it's always fun to do. Like you learn a salsa move and then be able to do that on the street or something. It's it's cool. That's funny because I spent so long feeling like dance takes so much. Because after mm. quitting concert dance, you know, studying ballet for 15 years, uh, I always envy runners because I feel like if I really loved running, it really takes nothing and you can run. But with dance, you have to go into the studio, you have to prep yourself, you have to have your hair, you have to have your leotard, you have to be <laughs> ready to go, you have to have the time, the money, and uh, that's been something that's really hard because it's hard to find another form of activity that replaces that. So it's good to be reminded that for just dance itself and the expression you can get from it, it doesn't take that much. Hmm. You should come to the five rhythms because it's all about breaking down those structures or those learned things. Um, Tammy Burstein, who is um, uh, the leader of the Friday Night Five, Five Rhythms, is leading the, the parade float this year oh, in the nice. parade. Okay. And um, yeah, it's uh, you could do it there or in a class. It's better because the lights are down low and you can just kind of you do whatever you feel. If you're angry, you dance angry. So my memory is coming back to me. Um, my friend Jason actually has invited me to the Five Rhythms class, and we've been meaning to go for a long time, but we'll have to make it soon. And it sounds really fun, and I just love the improvisational nature of it because I really enjoy dance like that. Yeah, improv is great. I mean, wouldn't it be great if we could improv every second of the day? Yeah. <laughs> and be okay, not have to try to improv, but just actually be in a natural way. Right, yeah. Yeah we did touch on some of this, but just to make it clear for everyone, if somebody wants to get involved in Dance Parade in an official way, what's the process they would follow? You just go to danceparade.org All right. and then click on participate. Cool. Um, and then there you can participate by volunteering, participate by joining a group in the parade um, or starting your own group. You used to be a ballet dancer, get a few friends to do some ballet. Um, <laughs> why not? There's something for everyone. So you just go to the website and, uh, the homepage is full of information, but also if you can, you can click through and see videos and pictures and all kinds of stuff. Great. All right. Well, I think, uh, that's everything. So thank you so much for joining us. We'll definitely put all the info on our website alongside, uh, the link to this episode and, um, we'll go from there. So thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. I really love what you're doing. Great. Great. Likewise. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Bye, guys. Bye.